Hey everyone, welcome back to Christ of the Cure. Today we are continuing the historical existence of Jesus, and today we're going to be talking about the Gospels and whether or not the Gospels are um, good as a historical witness. And then if we um, have time, which I think we will, we'll talk a little bit about the idea of Jesus as a copycat deity, and then that will wrap up our, um, I guess, little double series, mini-series, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so let's begin with, again, um, Bart Ehrman, the agnostic skeptic's words on this topic, which um, I've always found kind of interesting here. So he says, The Gospels, their sources, and the oral traditions that lie behind them combine to make a convincing case that Jesus really existed. It is not that one can simply accept everything found in the Gospels as historically accurate. Sometimes... The Gospels of the New Testament are separated from all other pieces of historical evidence and given a different kind of treatment because they happen to be found in the Bible, uh, the collection of books that Christians gather together and declared sacred scripture. The Gospels are treated in this way by two fundamentally opposed camps of readers, and my contention is that both of them are completely wrong. However else the Gospels are used, for example, in communities of the faith, they can and must be considered historical sources of information. And then let's look at another quote by him. Once it is conceded that the Gospels can and should be treated as historical sources no different from other historical sources infused with their author's biases, it starts to become clear why historians almost always universally agreed that regardless of whatever else one may say about him, Jesus of Nazareth, lived in the first century Palestine and was crucified by the prefect of Judea. Uh, and to summarize his conclusions before we go into our own examination, he says, quote, The evidence I offer in this chapter is not all there is. It is simply one part of the evidence. But it is easy to see why even on its own, it has proved to be so convincing to almost every scholar who ever thought about the issue. We are not dealing with just one gospel that reports what Jesus said and did from sometime near the end of the first century. We have a number of surviving Gospels, I named seven, that are either completely independent of one another or independent in a larger number of their traditions. These all attest to the existence of Jesus. Moreover, these independent witnesses corroborate many of the same basic sets of idea. For example, that Jesus not only lived, but that he was a Jewish teacher who was crucified by the Romans at the instigation of the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. Even more important, these independent witnesses are based on a relatively large number of written predecessors of the Gospels that no longer survive, but that almost certainly once existed. Some of these earlier written texts have been shown beyond reasonable doubt to date back to at least the 50s of the Common Era. They derive from locations around the Mediterranean and again are independent of one another. If historians prefer lots of witnesses that corroborate one another's claims without showing evidence of collaboration, we have that in the relative abundance of the written sources that attest to the existence of the historical Jesus. But most significant of all, each of these numerous gospel texts is based on oral traditions that had been in circulation for years among communities of Christians in different parts of the world, all of them attesting to the existence of Jesus. And some of these traditions must have originated in Aramaic-speaking communities of Palestine, probably in 30 CE, within several years of at least the traditional date of the death of Jesus. The vast network of these traditions numerically significant, widely dispersed, and largely independent of one another makes it almost certain that whatever one wants to say about Jesus 
at the very least, one must say he existed. And that's, again, from his work, um, Did Jesus Exist?, which, of course, is written from the perspective of an agnostic skeptic historian. But the whole premise of the book is that Jesus did exist, um, despite uh, Bart Ehrman's beefs with Christianity on other issues. So anyway, um, let's briefly discuss the genre of the Gospels. I originally was reading through journals and... um, I was tempted to pick up a book. There's only one major treatment on this topic, uh, so I, I didn't really go there. Uh, so this is going to be really brief. But within scholarship, it is generally held that the Gospels fit into the category of Greco-Roman biographies, which Bloomberg uh, calls theological biographies. Now, this this is important because it explains the structure of the Gospels and why they're different in the way that they are. Uh, we view biographies vastly different, and we expect them to be chronological, uh, neatly detailing every aspect of a person's life. Of course, that's not necessarily true because we do focus in on particular aspects for the most part. You, you rarely have people bringing in details that are irrelevant. Um, so even our conception of modern biographies is a little bit of a misunderstanding in itself. Anyway, uh, so Greco-Roman biographies differed from modern biographies in various ways. Uh, Most notably in that modern biographies emphasize minute details measured by precision and full chronological accounts. You you expect them to be chronological from the birth to the death uh, with details filling in, um, you know, throughout and order. Instead, Greco-Roman biographies focused upon people in their public sphere. Uh, And so it is significant that... Uh, the gospel center mostly on Jesus's work within the public sphere. That was what was considered significant for these biographies. Uh, the, the fact that we have those birth narratives is significant in a different respect. Um, but they focused on major events, their, their influence in public spheres, uh, but they could also frame their biographies in various ways according to their purposes in order to highlight aspects of that individual. Uh, biographies were known for doing this. So whenever we see things being out of order and we see particular highlights in each of the Gospels, that wasn't out of place. Um, I wish I could remember the book that discusses it so I could refer it, but apparently it's amazing. If you just look up Gospels as Greco-Roman biographies, you'll find a lot in it. Um, So information was relayed based on the usefulness of the information and the lessons that could be gleaned from it. Now, it's always helpful to say what this can tell us and what it can't tell us. What it can't tell us is how accurate the sources are. Um, So if you're going to say, well, these must be accurate sources about all the details in the Gospels because they're Greco-Roman biography, don't do that. It's not not a good argument. These instead can tell us without a doubt that Jesus was a historical figure that had Greco-Roman biographies written about him. So the historicity of the document subject is is what we're looking at here. And that's really just the brief discussion on the the genre. There's been arguments that it is its own type of genre that's kind of special uh, gospel genre. Uh, but most scholars have gone back to saying, no, this makes more sense as a Greco-Roman biography. So let's talk about the dating of the synoptic gospels. Well, So the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, this is not to say that John is inconsequential. Oh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered synoptic gospels because they have overlaps in their contents to a great extent, um, especially when compared against the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a lot more unique in its contents when comparing it with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And so right out the gate, I should say that we are going to completely bypass the authorship discussion. It's a useful discussion. It's a helpful discussion for the historicity, but we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to quote Bloomberg here uh, and say that uh, regardless of whether or not you hold to the traditional view of the authorship, um, it doesn't change the credibility of the Gospels. Uh, he says the credibility of the Gospels is not automatically called in question if the liberal consensus within the New Testament scholarship turned out to be true, that is on authorship. And that's really not our focus here. So I, I do hold to the conservative position that Matthew pin Matthew, Mark pin Mark, Luke pin Luke, John John, right? Um, and I do believe it was John the Apostle, not a different John who wrote um, his Gospel and Revelation. Um, so yeah, while I do presuppose that the authors of the Gospels align with the names in our Gospels, I do not believe it's consequential necessarily for the purposes that we're discussing here. Our main interest centers around the dating of the Gospels and how it pertains to the historical existence of Jesus. Uh, were the Gospels pinned close enough to have their facts straight regarding Jesus or his existence? So among evangelicals, the dating of the Gospels uh, usually fall into the 60s or with Mark it falls into the 50s. Now, some evangelicals and liberal scholars will date Mark to the 60s or 70s with Matthew and Luke landing in the 80s or 90s. This is a debate that could also be had, but I'm going to disappoint you yet again and say that we're going to bypass that and instead we'll quote Bloomberg. And the reason why is because it's not really consequential. Uh, and by the way, whenever I say Bloomberg, I'm, I'm quoting from the historical reliability of the New Testament. It's a whopper of a book and it's excellent. If you want to go through that. Um, but he says, whether written 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus' death, the Gospels were produced well within the lifetime of some who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. By ancient standards, this was a short period of time between the life of a famous individual and the appearance of biographies about him. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the dating of biographies. Uh, the New Testament and its literary environment by David Anye. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, points out that there are a couple of biographers who write during the lives of their subjects, but this is more rare. And what was more common instead were that those who wrote um, usually wrote from one to four centuries, 100 to 400 years after their subject had passed. Um, so if we take, for example, Suetonius, who we discussed in our last episode, he begins with Julius Caesar, who died 115 years before Suetonius was even born. Um, so Bloomberg actually uses Alexander the Great to demonstrate this point. So if you don't know, Alexander the Great, he lived between 356 and 323 BC. And we have four biographers for him. Uh, Diodorus uh, in the first century BC, so that's uh, 100 BC to 1 AD. And then Quintus Curtius in the first century, that's 0 to 100 AD, and then Plutarch and Arian, not not Jehovah's Witness Arian, but a different Arian, uh, A-R-R-I-A-N, who wrote in the second century, which is AD 100 to 200. Now, Plutarch and Arian's accounts, those ones from 100 to 200, are the ones that we still use for civilization textbooks to this day, and they date um, to four centuries, 400 years after Alexander's death. And their sources are no longer um, available to us. 
But those are our primary witnesses for the life of Alexander the Great that we use to teach people for centuries, 400 years after Alexander's death. Now, thinking back to what we have for Jesus, we have Matthew dating from between the 60s and the 90s um, AD, uh, just as well as Luke using either the conservative or the liberal dating of 60 and 90, and then Mark between the 50s and 70s. So you have three biographies written between 30 and 60 years of Jesus's life. So whenever we think that that's a long time for someone to, um, to start a biography, just remember that most common was 100 to 400 years, and yet we have biographies dating from 30 to 60 years. And then when you throw in John, you have four. Um, so quoting Bloomberg, that we have four biographies of Jesus within 30 to 60 years of his death is nothing short of astonishing by ancient standards. No other examples from antiquity have been preserved of this abundance of information from multiple authors and writing so close to the people and events being described. To reject the New Testament Gospels as potential sources of excellent historical information about Jesus of Nazareth is to impose a bias on the study of history, which, if consistently applied elsewhere, would leave us completely agnostic about anything or anyone in the ancient world. So let's talk about uh, witnesses and sources of the Synoptic Gospels. So here we'll discuss what's called source criticism very briefly uh, and what is often called the Synoptic Problem. So the discussion centers around how interrelated Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually are, given their similarities between one another, okay? So it, essentially, it asks the question about the sources that these gospel writers themselves may have accessed and whether or not they shared the same sources because they have the same exact wording in various points. Um, and so a brief detour, we should really get it out of our head that um, God led these writers to use bizarre means of pitting their Gospels. God's providence did not lead these writers of the Gospels to ignore what was normal for framing biographies. Uh, they still did research. They compiled their research. They still had sources. Uh, and God still guided those readers. In fact, the fact that we can say all this, that we have these ancient uh, biographies that are historically attestable in this way is fantastic. If God had bypassed uh, those normal means, I think that would take a little bit of the weight away, to be honest. The, again, the fact that just looking at the dating issue, the fact that we have four biographies dating this early is is fantastic. Um, so just we have to keep in mind that the gospel writers, however we conceptualize, put the work into the formation of their texts. Uh, so Luke himself actually speaks as one who, who would act as a, a historian, as we would expect from a biographer. Uh, Luke 1, 1-3 says, Whereas many have attempted to compile a narrative of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them over to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely from the beginning, to write for you an orderly account. So we have uh, Luke saying that there were others who have attempted to compile a narrative, and Luke wants to compile an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And then, of course, we have Acts, the early church. So basically, you could say Luke did his homework. Now, whenever it comes to the concept of sources, we see that Luke 
has um, looked at witnesses and have discussed with people to compile sources. And so whenever we talk about the sources of the gospel writers, we typically find this agreement that Luke and Matthew utilized Mark's gospel as a source. Okay, that's one of the most common uh, positions that Mark was written first and that Luke and Matthew utilized Mark and then, of course, used another source or expanded based off their own um, testimony of their own purposes, etc. Uh, in the early church, it was believed that Matthew came first. I think we'll talk about that here in a second. I forgot where my notes go on that. Um, so most view Mark as the earliest gospel in Greek, and that's the, the key here, because um, Papias claims that there was a Hebrew version of Matthew that was translated into Greek, um, but still in its Greek and expanded form, it's still later than Mark. So Mark is still earlier. Um, in fact, this um, supposed Hebrew Matthew is thought to be more of a compilation of sayings rather than Matthew's gospel as we know it. Burge and Green state, a number of scholars are intrigued with this view, and while they might not argue that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are independent of each other, they wonder whether a primitive gospel existed that preceded the others. Um, so the question is, was there some other gospel or source that preceded the others? So there's this idea that Matthew uh, utilized Mark because of the overlap in certain narratives with the same exact wordings. Uh, and there are a number of passages, however, that are in Matthew and Luke that are not in Mark. And one example of this is the Lord's Prayer. And so it is suspected that there is another shared source between Matthew and Luke that people have called Q. And don't worry, we'll get to a point here in a second. Um, so further, Luke indicates that he used multiple sources, right? And this is further attested in narratives that are exclusive to Luke. So there are passages in Luke, such as the parable of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan, that are not found in Matthew and Mark. And so some will call this source L. So just, just to be clear, what, what I'm saying here is that there's an idea that Matthew and Luke used Mark, but since they have aspects that are unique to them and not found in Mark, they might have used a different source. And since Luke has aspects that are unique only to Luke, he may have used another source called L. Uh, and so that's where you get L, this Luke source, and then Q, the shared source between Matthew and Luke that was not utilized by Mark. Now, additionally, Matthew has narratives that are exclusive to his own gospel, which some have designated as M. So you can see where this is going. I'm going to try to describe these different source theories. Um, it's kind of hard without a visual. Uh, so the first theory is this. We begin with Jesus, and a primitive gospel was formed, and then Matthew, Mark, and Luke used that primitive gospel as their source. And then there's another theory, that Matthew was the first gospel, and Mark used Matthew, and Luke used Mark and Matthew. Then there's another source, that Matthew was the first gospel, Luke used Matthew first, and then Mark came after Matthew and Luke. And then there's Mark first with Matthew second, and Luke using Matthew and Mark. And then there's Mark uh, was the basis for Matthew, and Matthew also used Q, while Luke shared Q with Matthew as well as Mark. And then there's another theory that um, M and Mark were the basis for Matthew alongside Q, and that the basis for Luke was Mark, Q, and L. If that gave you a headache, completely understandable because um, it's really hard without the, the visualizations. So there are various theories. 
and they're all intriguing. They're all they're all they're all interesting to think about. But ultimately, they are speculative and hypothetical. We don't know um, the document Q. We don't have a document named Q or L or M. Um, most scholars adopt the two document hypothesis, where Matthew and Luke each used Mark and Q, and then they had their own independent. Um, you know, a witness to add to that, which is, you know, quote unquote M or L, but just not as a document, just from those two authors. The whole point is the takeaway is that there are significant overlaps between the gospels that indicate shared sources at various points. Okay. Um, and this is important because that means that there is some kind of witness to what is happening that could be considered a source, but what is more significant because of those hypotheticals is that in various instances, they do act as independent sources in various instances while also potentially indicating even earlier sources. So what I mean is whenever we have parts in Luke that are completely unique to Luke and not found in Matthew and Mark, we can consider that an independent source. So you do have three independent Gospels minimally. Then, if you take the two-source hypothesis, and then you have Q. And then, of course, from there, you can snowball into the other theories. Um, so there's also something to be said about the oral tradition. Uh, we could go into the oral tradition and how um, amazing, really, the retention was, but we're not going to. Uh, the route memory exercised by Jesus and Contemporaries of his day were was just ridiculously amazing, but we don't need to go into that um, here. So we talked a lot about sources for the purpose of saying that there's reason to see these as three independent uh, gospels, and that there's reasons to believe that there are sources that are even earlier or existing at the time of Jesus. And you really do see that with Luke saying that there have been others. Whereas many have attempted to compile a narrative of the things that would have been fulfilled among us or that have been fulfilled among us. Uh, so even uh, Luke acknowledges that to some extent. And you can go into the debate about, well, why weren't they included in the Bible? Well, because it wasn't God's will, if you want to go down that route. But the whole point is that we have great historical evidences for Jesus. So a final comparison before we wrap up this episode, and then I think we're going to... Uh, make a part three because of the length. Now, in our last episode, I used Bart Ehrman, who compared the evidence we have for Pontius Pilate to Jesus, um, which was fantastic. Peter Williams uses an example of Tiberius, who was the emperor of Rome during the public activities of Jesus between AD 1437. So he compares the Gospels with the evidence for Tiberius, and it is fantastic. So one of them, I'm not going to go through all of them in too much detail. The main sources for Tiberius are four, and uh, they're written in AD 30, AD 110, AD 120, and AD 200. And their earliest copies are in the 16th century and the 9th century. Um, for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, we have the earliest incomplete copies between the 2nd and 3rd century, excuse me, and the earliest complete copies from the 4th century. So it is a very significant comparison. Um, Peter Williams says, It may be thus concluded that Jesus has more extended text about him in general 
closer proximity to his life than his contemporary Tiberius, the most famous person in the then-known world. Of course, both Tiberius and Jesus have other records about them, which gives us less historical information than the extended biographies. For Tiberius, these included coins and numerous uh, references and historians. For Jesus, these include all the other books of the New Testament. And he summarizes by saying, the amount of text we have about Jesus is good relative to one of the best-known figures from antiquity. And that is uh, Peter Williams' Can We Trust the Gospels? Excellent, super short book. You can read it in a day, really. Um, so that's it for part two. I didn't expect this to be three parts, but we're almost at the 30-minute mark, so we might as well make it a three-parter. Uh, in part three, we will discuss the great myth of myths. That is uh, the claim that Jesus is a copycat of ancient deity. Of course, by the time we got through part one and two, we can already say that's uh, nonsense because we have historical evidence for the existence of Jesus as we have demonstrated thus far. So God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful week. <laughs>